Welcome to All About Data on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jory Heckman. Thanks for joining me this week on All About Data, a conversation with chief data officers and the people who are making data work better in government. On today's episode, unpacking the data implications of AI readiness at the Defense Department. Here to talk about it, my guest today is David Spurk, the former chief data officer at the Defense Department. He's now a member of Fordham Technologies Government Advisory Board. David, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I think just to set the conversation broadly here, Tell me a little bit more about where you see AI creating new opportunities for DOD in the intelligence community. You know, the concept of data-driven technologies and advanced analytics really are pushing the department and the intel community into a future where the speed and proficiency gains um, that we'll be able to make decisions at are only limited by the power of compute and the good data that we have to generate the models. For some time, I've tried to explain where the department is, and I'll go with the department for this, you know, versus where it's going. And I actually just had an opportunity to speak with the new CDAO, Craig Martell, to get his kind of first 30-day reflections and thinking about what he's now found. And, you know, when I think about creating new opportunities, I think there's entirely new warfighting concepts and doctrinal changes that will come from those as they kind of start to pile up that are created, you know, at the tactical edge that are created by men and women who increasingly understand the capabilities of using data-driven technologies. They're just using data to uh, make decisions in time and space that previously just wasn't available or or the technology to unlock that data wasn't either. So I think in the hands of our up-and-coming leaders who are fluent in digital natives, that we're really going to see the creative imagination of new ways to execute missions accomplished. I'm, I'm pretty excited by it. You'd mentioned that CDAO role that's a relatively new addition to the DOD hierarchy here. Tell me from a, an organizational standpoint how that might make the uh, DOD in a better position to tackle some of these challenges and these opportunities. I'm uh, absolutely uh, bullish on the CDAO. I'm excited that Secretary Hicks really made some courageous decisions to take offices that had previously been imagined, created for some specific unique missions, but recognizing they all actually come together as one and making the decision to bring those together. I think it's absolutely necessary if we're going to generate the effect that we're looking for. And again, I think it's at echelon. So taking the CDO, my old office, taking the Jake, taking DDS, taking Advana, and even taking portions of Project Maven's leadership team and forming those into this one body as the CDAO that will allow the department to develop some enterprise capability, whether it's in business analytics or AI-enabled kind of mission command, you know, almost JADC2-like concepts, and take the battle space in the boardroom, bring them together from that operational echelon up to the strategic, develop capabilities to bring all the 11 combat commands, joint staff, and the components, you know, the fourth estate, so to speak, together on one or a handful of data management platforms, all of which that comport to the DepSecDef's data decrees. I think that's really exciting. I also think that what that allows the CDAO to do is not only develop and deliver data-driven capability that didn't exist because it almost wasn't required or imagined before, but what it also, in my opinion, does is give the military departments and the services something that they can look at and say, 
So if I can port the data decree signed out by the DepSecDef, if I can be machine to machine interoperable on my data management platforms, whether business or battle space, to that operational strategic layer that the CDAO is developing for the department, then we could almost say I'm data decree and JADC2 compliant. And we could start to see real progress against some of those heady concepts around joint all domain and command and control that are really tough to get your head around when you start thinking about the dynamic between really that tactical edge and the halls of the Pentagon and how we bring those data sets together. So this really does seem to be a case where these individual components, the CDAO is going to make them greater than some of their parts. Absolutely. I think it's really required. And what I also think it allows the CDAO to do is make sure that we set realistic goals, that we kind of put a marker down for where we are today, where we want to be in the future, and then have the resources at their disposal to lead the department, you know, that direction. If you think about the progression of being an AI-ready, you know, Department of Defense, well, you have to start out just kind of getting data informed, you know? And then when you go from data informed, which is probably just some pretty basic, you know, predictive analytics, you know, you could start to move into data driven, which I think is when you start to get into some machine learning concepts and eventually work your way to data led, which is when I start to think more generally about concepts of real artificial intelligence, where we start composing models, when we start bringing models and data sets together in new unique ways that we haven't before, and we really start breaking out. But, but I think when you look at businesses that have made the successful transition from one to the other, they haven't tried to get ahead of a step. Because when you get ahead of a step, you make bad investments. You maybe don't have the data workflows that are trustable, repeatable, and testable enough to, in your live formation, go ahead and, and recreate those where a model would actually be relevant. All right. Well, you brought up an interesting point in terms of AI readiness for the DOD, because that is a major goal that I think is definitely coming into focus here. In terms of that timeline of things, what do you make of the DOD's current state of AI readiness and what needs to be done as well to make sure that it does get to that AI readiness by 2025? AI readiness is an interesting concept. It sounds really neat, but if you break it down and look at the components of the parts, I really think that what that first means is you need to start thinking about talent before tools. When we start to talk about data-driven technologies, and again, there's a reason I use that term over and over again, data-driven technologies like AI, you know, um, I start to think uh, about the people that it's going to take to integrate any of these, to do the good data management and good data stewardship that's required so we have enough quality data to actually build a model that's going to help us with something, whether it's predictive or prescriptive analytics. And so, you know, I really start at a pretty basic level of data fluency. You know, the exciting part about that isn't just the data fluency, but what we recognize time and time again is as you learn a new language, you become more conversant and understanding of its culture. And I think when we talk about the data ecosystem, you know, we're really talking about talent, we're talking about technology, and we're talking about culture. So when you really think about talent before tools, it hits two of those components of the ecosystem that would create space for that third to come in and really drastically move the department forward. So I think that's probably the primary one. When I start to think about AI ready, I go back to data fluency across the force. Now, I think there's also ways that you improve that data fluency, and and that's through real-world integrations of data-driven technologies. That's through understanding where you have those testable, repeatable data workflows and having that opportunity 
to go right to that tactical edge, to go to that leader who has an understanding and a, and a crazy idea to use them to kind of transform some of their warfighting concepts. And where we found some of those leaders are pretty interesting. General Van Herc at Northcom NORAD, you know, where um, with his guide series, his global information dominance experiments, you know, he took some of the technology that leaders like General Tony Thomas, the former SOCOM commander, then Major General Chris Donahue, the 82nd Airborne commander, you know, began just integrating. It was all Project Maven based. And we were able to just take those that were ready now and getting the operators to get their hands on them. And every time you get an integration, the operator says, hey, if it can do this, can it do that? You know, and you start to realize what you're really beginning to roll out is somewhat of a general purpose technology that, you know, you're going to have have individuals across the formation, depending on where they are and what their mission is, see somebody using it one way and go, hey, I have an idea for that, you know, and, and next thing you know, you're doing that. And it just kind of starts turning into this, this hockey stick growth of not only that rapid change in warfighting concepts that keeps us ahead of our near peer competitors, but also allows that synergistic effect to turn back around because they start learning what it takes to integrate these technologies and their fluency starts to rise. So I think there's really two components there that are pretty exciting for me. On the back of that, what I would say is we've got a lot of work on procuring a flexible data architecture that's modern, that's at commercial standard that has to go alongside with that. And we're going to count on the CIOs to do that for us. What I really am struck by in all that, this is definitely a spectrum, right? That there's going to be, you know, a level of fluency that is for the end users, the people who are making and interfacing with the data. There's going to be a level of fluency at the C-suite. Is that a pretty accurate way of summing it all up? I think so. We're seeing the inspiration coming because people are starting to recognize the dual use nature of some of these things that they're using in their daily lives and the applicability of that data-driven technology, that AI you know, capability inside whatever the role is at the department, whether it's on the business side or the warfighting side. And I think the magic is when we bring both of those together on our data stack, on our data platforms, and we're seeing it start to happen. You know, when I think about something like Fordham, you know, one of the reasons that I joined their advisory board, their government advisory board, is because, you know, what they have is some world-class leading technology that's generating new data sets that we've never had before. And so once we start to think about generating those structured data sets, you know, from their platform deployed in a tactical formation, you know, whether it's in the Department of Defense or whether it's taking lessons learned from where they were defending the Olympic, you know, uh, uh, venues, you start to think about those new and unique data layers that have never been generated before. And the opportunity, again, going back to almost where I started of taking that tactical data layer, that very tactical edge data layer that might even be disconnected because it's in a disadvantaged comms environment and start to create those paths, whether it's leveraging snowballs or clouds, to start connecting it into the operational to strategic decision-making capabilities that, again, you know, you asked in the beginning, how do we know when we're getting there? Well, I think it's really when we can start to take some of those unique data sets like Fordham creates at that tactical edge. We can start to bring those into in bulk, in mass across the formation, those operational and strategic decision making cycles. And the models are going to find ways to leverage that data that a human never, ever thought about in the past. So, you know, the future is bright because of companies like Fordham that are really beginning to bring that commercial technology into the defense sector. We're speaking with David Spurke former Chief Data Officer for the Defense Department. We're going to take a short break, but we'll continue our conversation when we return. I'm Jory Heckman, and you're listening to All About Data on Federal News Network. 
Welcome back to All About Data. We're speaking with David Spurk, the former chief data officer for the Defense Department. While we're talking about the infrastructure side of things, let's maybe take a sidebar and unpack some of the uh, platforms that have come up here. You mentioned Advana being a, a tool in the toolbox that has, I think, greatly expanded in use over the past years. Can you just briefly walk me through that evolution of things and where it stands currently? Yeah, I think, you know, with Advana, Greg Little was a tremendous colleague. Greg was the director of Advana. He did bring it out of the CFO office, uh, started under Secretary Norquist, DepSec Dep Norquist, when he was actually the comptroller. And then when DepSec Dep Norquist, you know, moved into that position, he definitely brought that idea of, of a data-driven boardroom, how we manage the department on our data. And I think I still, I hope they still left it in my old office there. I wrote October 20th, I want to say it was 2020, the first deputies management and action group without PowerPoint. You know, we used actual live data in the deputy senior most decision-making forum with the senior most leaders of the department there. And, uh, you know, Greg and I both fingers crossed, hoping the system didn't crash right at the most inopportune moment because, you know, that happens. When you really start to think about, you know, where did we take that? What was the idea? Well, the idea was initially just for comptroller needs. But then we realized across the department how every undersecretary, how every assistant secretary, how every component that's trying to ensure that it's managing itself and aligning to whatever the strategic goals of the department are, have an opportunity to use live data today to bring that together and begin to operate, you know, as kind of one unified department. You know, when we went out and said, hey, I need access to this data. You know, when we started two years ago, you know, there was some reluctance, like, hey, that's my data, you know, this data here. It's, I don't want to say it was people hoarding and protecting. We found out why, you know, some people were reluctant to give up their data. But, you know, the more we did it over that two-year period, the more we reported on where we were, we learned a lot of lessons. And nine times out of 10, it wasn't that the department didn't want to share its data. It's that it was concerned the data was bad, you know, in such a poor form that they didn't want a senior leader making a decision from that data because it would actually be a flawed decision. They wanted time and they were on a path to improve that. It was an old system that they couldn't unlock their data from. You know, we had a lot of vendors really locking, making hardware and software dependencies to the data that, you know, we've begun moving away from. And so when we think about the data decrees that the DEPSEC signed out, you know, data decree number one, all data is department data. What we're really saying is there's one data owner in the department, you know, that's the Secretary of Defense. And I was happy to say that by the time we cleared that and thinking about how we used Advana and Project Maven, you know, what we really were able to do was break through that cultural norm where we thought people didn't want to provide their data, but rather we found it was often a technical reason that they couldn't and it was associated with adding resources to upgrade a system that they were probably going to sunset in the next year or two anyway. So we just really took a lot of balance and prioritization for where we wanted to make investments for data-driven decision-making now versus where we were going to show a degree of patience with our military departments and our components in unlocking that data in the future and time and space so we could maximize investment and resources. To tie things a little bit more immediately back to the AI part of the conversation, the Joint Common Foundation seems to have been a really foundational element of fielding AI, using that as like a sandbox, having the data in place to tinker around with these things. Tell me from your perspective on things, how that has been a critical tool to bring AI to like a, a next level of sophistication here. I think righteously, everybody was trying to build their data management platforms for their specific and unique missions. What I think we also recognized was there was probably a lot of redundancy 
that hadn't been rationalized. You know, you always want some redundancy. You don't want duplication. And when we started to look at the JCF versus, you know, the architecture that was Advana, that already had a lot of data and a lot of customers on it. I think what we found as we started bringing the offices together and looking at the opportunity was there was going to be a chance for more consolidation there. I think Advana had, you know, a three-year, four-year run of lessons learned, of integrations, of data integrations in it than the JCF. And so I think what we're seeing now is Advana as the master platform and the JCF beginning to bring itself into that sphere in a normalized manner where we do have some uh, duplicative tooling that's going to be pulled out and we can find those efficiencies going forward. Okay. So much of this conversation so far has been really centered around the opportunities around AI in the DoD space. Let's maybe flip the coin around a little bit here and look at some of the challenges around all of this. What do you see as some of the biggest ones when it comes to, again, national security and the intelligence community? There's a lot of challenges around this, and the department's overcoming those. You know, Dr. Cully, the new deputy CDAO for policy and strategy, is really holding true to his perspective of let's integrate these technologies, let's really start getting our hands messy with the data so that we can wield the power of the pen in a very calculated manner, you know, with such precision that we can start removing roadblocks that we encounter, not that we think we might encounter. And so there's an operational nature to kind of the way that the CDAO is aligning itself and using its authorities, you know, that are grounded in those of the DepSecDef herself. So I think continuing to hold true to that North Star of, you know, don't spend a lot of time creating policies that maybe won't ever have a home, but rather focus on where the warfighter or the analyst are having trouble today so that you can remove blocks, you can continue to accelerate into the future is important. So I think that's one component that's going to allow them to stay successful. As far as challenges go, I do think that we still have a significant amount of data debt in the department, you know, technical debt. We have systems from the 70s. We have systems from the 80s, you know, things that weren't ever conceived of leveraging, you know, their data so that we could make models for predictive and prescriptive analytics, eventually autonomy, right? So I do think that we still have a lot of challenges where we need to begin creating structured data on systems that are operating at the edge that maybe never considered making their data available to anything that would, would allow for, I'll say, regimental management, you know, in a single pane of glass. So, so those opportunities are presenting themselves. I think there's some vendors out there that are creating some unique uh, uh, capabilities to, again, start generating those, whether it's Fordham, um, you know, whether it's a, a company called Shift5, you know, that does cyber. I think there's a lot of opportunities for, for that creation and for us to start unlocking it. But all that said, you know, one of the biggest things that we continue to remain um, lacking is that enterprise commercial cloud compute. You know, we really need that JWCC joint warfighting cloud compute capability that the DOD CIO is, is striving for to be real, to be live and to be commercial uh, equivalent. You know, not a, a Frankenstein model of what we think of when we think of Google Cloud Platform, but rather Google Cloud Platform on our Nippernet, on our Cipernet, on our high side. And even, you know, at some point in the future, beginning to think about at what time we start to not talk about Nipper, Sipper, and, and, and our, our, our JWIX capabilities, but rather one network that really leverages zero trust, that leverages, you know, kind of some modern data encryption techniques, thinking towards quantum encryption and compute, you know, but maybe one. So our attack surface is smaller. We can begin to use data-driven capabilities to secure our data, not physical separation 
a little bit more as the standard and start to remove concepts of one-way guards up and down so that we can take our own class data, blend it with our high side data and start to create these models that, that really will transform the department. The CIOs need to be resourced to bring that modern data architecture, that data analysts, the data scientists that model developers need. But then they also need to be held accountable when given those resources because they're warfighters and they need to deliver warfighting capability broadly across the department. Okay. And I know that a lot of ink has been spilled from a policy standpoint about this, but what steps has DOD taken to field ethical and responsible AI and to, at the end of the day, really build confidence in the reliability of these tools? When I think of responsible AI, I, I think about trustable AI. Ethical AI should be grounded in everything that we do, 100%. You know, that's kind of the, the ethos that, that we bring to everything we do. There's ways that when we talk about data fluency, we need to be talking about, you know, ethical use of data. That needs to be a part of the curriculum. That needs to be a part of the dialogue. But I think that's just grounded in our DNA that we always think through, yeah, we could, but should we? Once we clear that as a conceptual kind of part of the foundation that we're bounding from, then I think we really need to get into that. Can this be trusted? You know, is the data good? Can we make models that will do really what we need them to across the breadth of our data? When we start thinking about autonomous solutions, you know, will it remain as performant? And we'll say in the South China Sea, as it was in the desert, you know, uh, uh, terrain of Iraq, um, in the jungles of Colombia, you know, wherever it might be put in place. And so there's some really cool vendors who are helping us think through how to navigate that space, how to um, not just look at a score on performance of, hey, this model performs better than that model, but rather, you know, hey, this model will be this performant in this environment against this type of competitor. Um, and we're going to manage that. And we're going to stay on top of it through the duration of its life cycle. So those are areas I'm excited to talk about because it's really blue water for the department. We've got some really smart people and we've got some really ethical people who are partnering with industry to take those lessons learned and begin to take some of those dual use technologies, integrate them and start to imagine what that future needs to be and start just developing it live in our formation today. That was David Spurk, the former chief data officer for the Defense Department. He's now a member of Fordham Technologies Government Advisory Board. You can find the full interview and transcript of this conversation on federalnewsnetwork.com. I'm Jory Heckman, and thanks for listening to this episode of All About Data. Thanks for listening to All About Data on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your favorite podcast app. Search for All About Data on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows.